Luke chapter 1, we're going to read the story of the conception and birth of John the Baptist. We're going to start Luke 1, chapter 1, verse 5. There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah. His wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well advanced in years. And so it was that while he was serving as priest before God in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord, and the whole multitude of the people was praying outside at the hour of incense. So this man named Zacharias, who is a relative of Mary... Mary and Elizabeth are, it just says relative. So Jesus and John the Baptist are like second or third cousins. We really don't know, but they're related somehow. Zacharias is a priest in the temple, and every morning at sunrise and every evening at sunset, there was an offering of a lamb outside on the altar for the sin offering where they would slaughter the animal and burn it to represent their sins. But inside the temple, there was a little altar, smaller than this podium right here. Just had a little top, and it was called the altar of incense. And they would, there was a recipe for the incense in the Old Testament in the law where God told them what to burn every morning and every evening at sunset. And Revelation tells us that this incense represents our prayers and our worship. God is not interested in frankincense. He's interested in your heart. But in the, in the form and the model of what was to come, the Old Testament had this model of what it is to pray every morning and every evening as the sun is rising and the sun is setting they would offer this incense and this is what Zacharias is doing on this day said they cast lots which is kind of like rolling dice and it it, his number came up so he's the one who gives the incense for the day there was this tiny little altar 18 inches square on the top and then right in front of it was the curtain and behind the curtain was the ark of the covenant So this is not the once a year thing where they would go behind the curtain and sprinkle blood on the lid of the Ark of the Covenant. You may have heard about that. That's the one where they had to tie the rope to them in case they died when they went in there. Uh, You know, if they went in unholy and that was the most holy place. This is inside the temple, but not behind the curtain. This is an incense altar and Zechariah is offering incense there. We don't know whether this is morning or evening. It just says the hour of incense. Verse 11, then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing on the right side of the altar of incense. When Zacharias saw him, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth for he will be great in the sight of the Lord and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is well advanced in years. And the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God and was sent to speak to you and bring you these glad tidings. But behold, you will be mute and will not be able to speak until the day these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their own time. And the people waited for Zacharias and marveled that he lingered so long in the temple. And when he came out, he could not speak to them, and they perceived he had seen a vision in the temple, for he beckoned to them and remained speechless. And so it was, as soon as the days of his service were completed, that he departed for his own house." 
Now after these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and she hid herself for five months, saying, Thus the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach from among people. And then the book of Luke goes into the angel visiting Mary and announcing to her that she's going to conceive a child and name him Jesus. So we're going to skip that section about Mary because today we're just interested in John the Baptist and his parents. So we're skipping to verse 39. So Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste to a city of Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she spoke out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. For why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. Blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. And then Mary goes into a song where she's singing the praises of God and thanking him for sending deliverance to Israel. And then we go to verse 57. Now Elizabeth's full time came for her to be delivered, and she brought forth a son. And when her neighbors and relatives heard how the Lord had shown great mercy to her, they rejoiced with her. And so it was on the eighth day that they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him by the name of his father, Zacharias. His mother answered and said, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, There is no one among your relatives who is called by this name. So they made signs to his father what he would have him called. And he asked for a writing tablet, and he wrote, His name is John. So they all marveled. Immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed, and he spoke, praising God. Then fear came on all who dwelt around them, and all these sayings were discussed throughout the hill country of Judea. And all those who heard them kept them in their hearts, saying, What kind of child will this be? And the hand of the Lord was with him. Now his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people, and he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets, who would have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to perform the mercy promised on our fathers, to remember his holy covenant." the oath which he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. As he begins to speak, the first thing Zacharias does is praise God. And then he begins to talk to his son. And he says, You, child, will be called the prophet of the highest. You will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins. Through the tender mercy of a God, with which the day spring from on high has visited us, to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. So the child grew and became strong in spirit and was in the deserts till the day of his manifestation to Israel. What I have for you this morning is just some thoughts and, and some things I want to teach you out of this story. We've got Zacharias and Elizabeth And the Bible says they are well advanced in years. So the first thing I want to say is that you are never too old for God to answer your prayers. It's a cliche that, you know, that God is, it's never too late for God. Nothing's impossible for God, but you are not too old. The phrase is, they were well advanced in years. We're not given a number, but that phrase means elderly. They're not 55. They're probably more like 75 or 85. 
So we have here another miracle like God did for Abraham and Sarah, where Abraham was 100 and Sarah was 90 when she gave birth. So this couple, Zacharias and Elizabeth, are barren. They cannot have kids when she's 20 or 30. And now, again, we don't know a number, but let's assume she's 75. And an angel appears to Zacharias and said, Zacharias, your prayers have been heard. You're never too old for God to answer your prayers. It's never been too long. It's never too late. Something that strikes me as a possibility, again, the Bible doesn't say it, but it's, it's a real possibility because these are real people. These are not storybook characters. They're real people. Zacharias and Elizabeth are, let's assume they're 75 years old. And the angel appears to Zacharias and he says, your prayers have been heard. Your wife is going to give birth. Let's go all the way back to when they got married. In the tradition of the day, he would have been 25 to 30 and she would have been 15 to 20 when they got married. So 60 years ago, they started praying for children, and it didn't happen. All through her 20s, it didn't happen. All through her 30s, it didn't happen. 40s, we're getting desperate, God. Time is up. We, need, we want a family. Doesn't happen. I guarantee you, by the time they're 75 or 80, they're not still praying. Because common sense. Hello? I'm reading into the story, but they're real people here. I guarantee you, Zacharias is not praying for a baby. But the angel comes and says, your prayers have been heard. There are things that you prayed for when you were young, a long time ago, that you gave up on, but God did not. He remembers. He heard them. And he will answer. He has a plan. Come on. That's right. That's right. God moves in old people's lives. Come on, Moses is 80. Noah's 120. I think Jacob is 130-some when he's reunited with Joseph. The Bible's full of old people meeting God. Come on, Anna and Simeon in the temple after Jesus is born, they both knew that they would live to see the Messiah. And in their very old age, they get to hold Jesus as a baby. Come on, it's never too late for God. You're not too old. He remembers the prayers that you prayed when you were young. Even maybe some that you have forgotten that you prayed. There's an answer on the way. The Bible says that Zacharias and Elizabeth were blameless in their obedience of God. That's a really strong word for God to use. God could not say that about me. I mean, these are really, really good people. Later on, when John is 30, Jesus says, this is the greatest man ever born. If you know your Bible, you know that's true. Jesus said of John, this is the greatest man ever born of woman. God can't entrust that prophet to just any parents. Zacharias and Elizabeth are great people. They are really godly. They obey God, not out of self-righteousness or religion. They're really, truly obeying God. And God says they are blameless. Live righteously. Do what God says. But they didn't have the prayer of their heart. God never answered their prayer all through the time when it was possible to answer it, or so they thought. God will hear our prayers and he will answer our prayers, but he always will do it on his timing. And they're just praying for a kid, any kid, God would be fine. By the time they're 45, I'm sure God, just a child, anything would be wonderful. And then it doesn't happen. 
They're just praying for a child. God has in mind the greatest man ever born. God's plans to answer your prayers are way bigger than what you are praying for. But it has to fit into his story. It has to fit into his timeline. And I don't know why God does it this way, but almost always he waits till the last minute. It's biblical and you know it in your own life. It's almost always the very last minute. I mean, come on, God, I'm 85. Oh, you're going to have a baby. (laughs) That's the last minute, God. That is the last minute. <laughs> I don't understand that. I really don't. And, and I, I realize it's, it's hard and it's scary and it's frustrating. And God, why does it take you so long to answer our prayers? And, but it's faith. It's faith. We have to have faith in the meantime. But God's answer for your prayers. We get to where we prayed for something so long. God, I just, just throw me a bone, God. Just anything. Just anything, God. Give me a little bit of hope. God's plans are the greatest man ever born. And God's plans are huge for answering your prayers. Like, I don't even know what that looks like. They prayed, and I'm sure, I, I'm, I know I'm reading it into the story, but I'm sure they quit. I'm sure they gave up. You're not still praying for a baby when you're 75 or 80. And God still had plans to answer their prayers. And he had answers to their prayers that were way bigger than they ever dreamed. They're going to have an awesome son. He's going to be amazing. But it has to fit into his story. God not only wants to answer your prayer, he wants to put you in his book. Hello, you're not in that one, but there's books in heaven and your name's all over it. Right? When you're obeying, when you're living in faith, when you're honestly waiting and praying in faith, your name is in his story. He's he's putting you in his story. And then Zacharias goes to work one day. It is a totally normal day. He has done this every day of his life. But we go back to Leviticus and Numbers, you find out they started when they were apprenticing when they were 20, and they start on full service when they were 30. They go into semi-retirement when they're 50. He's still serving. He's done this. Let's just imagine he's done this for 60 years. It's just old hat. It's everyday life. I just go to work, and bang, an angel shows up in everyday life. On a totally normal day, I don't know if it was raining or the sun was shining. I don't know if he was in a good mood or a bad mood. I don't know if things were going well or bad or whatever. An angel shows up in everyday life. He did not wake up that morning with a premonition, today's going to be an awesome day. An angel is going to show up and tell me that I'm going to be a father. Obviously, he is shocked out of his mind when this happens. All right? Always understand you're never going to see it coming. So don't give up. You're just going about your normal everyday life business Moses was just herding the sheep, and he looks over there, and there's the burning bush. David is just out on an average day, you know, killing lions with his bare hands. Just normal, everyday stuff. It's just, but he, no, he's, he's shepherding the sheep, and, and Elisha's just plowing. He's working for his dad on the farm. And in one moment, Elijah shows up and says, you're the next great prophet. Come and follow me. James and Peter and John and Andrew are just fishing with their dads. They're poor, illiterate fishermen just work an everyday job, and boom, without warning, Jesus shows up in their life and rewrites history. You don't know when it's coming, but God is going to show up in your everyday life. While you're on the job somewhere, doing whatever it is you do, God is going to show up. We don't get to dictate when or how that happens or how it looks, 
but he will show up and he will answer your prayers. You won't see it coming, so don't give up. So the angel comes and he says, your wife's going to conceive and give a birth. And he's talking to a flaming bright angel that doesn't happen every day. In fact, it's never happened before as he was going about his daily job. And his first thing out of his mouth is, how do I know this is really going to happen? Well, your first clue is you're talking to an angel. Yeah, Gabriel actually gets upset. It's like, I came from the throne of God. I had to leave the throne room of heaven to come down to this place to give you this message, and you don't believe me? You are not going to be able to speak till this thing happens. When God shows up, it is going to shock you. It is going to be hard to believe. And if you express doubt, God is going to have to shut you up so you don't ruin it. I mean it. I've been talking to you for months about the power of our words, that our words shape our destiny, and, and Zacharias was going to speak doubt, and not, it's, this can't happen. He's going to speak a bunch of impossibilities, and God, so Gabriel just says, all right, I'm going to zip your mouth till it happens, so you don't mess this up, bud. Isn't God gracious? Even that miracle of shutting his mouth for the next 10 months was God's grace. I'm going to answer your prayer even in spite of you. If you don't Work with God, he's going to have to shut you up so you don't ruin it because he's going to answer your prayer even if you don't believe he could. Something else I see in that part of the story is when God shows up to this man that God in his own word describes as blameless, he and his wife are blameless. They're really good, righteous, living people. That is not the same as faith. God wants us to obey and to be good But as you've heard me say lots, that's not the point. The point is faith. The point is to walk with God and live in his power. And Zacharias and Elizabeth obeyed God, but that's not the same thing as faith. Faith is our response when God comes and says, I'm going to do something impossible. And Zacharias was a little weak in the faith department. And so uh, Gabriel has to uh, superglue his mouth so that God can do what he needs to do. Righteous living is not the same as faith. We're not excused from either one. But as you've heard me say before, the point of Christianity is not to be good. The point is to know God and walk with him. When God comes to answer our prayer, it is going to happen in a way that we could never do, that requires him, and it will come in a way that you never expected. There's not a single one of us in any situation in our life when God answers our prayer or does something we could have said, oh yeah, yeah, I saw that coming. Uh-huh, that's exactly what I knew God would do. Uh-uh, never, never once has that happened that you had God figured out. It's always going to happen in a way that shocks us, that requires God's intervention. If they had started praying when Elizabeth is 15, 16 and they got married, and like, God, we want a child, we want a family, Thank you, God, we're going to have a family. And then she turns 25 and it isn't happening. And she turns 35 and it isn't happening. If God had answered their prayer when they're 40 and she conceives and has a child, friends and neighbors could say, hmm, that's a little strange, but okay, that's how it happened. But when she's 80, everybody they know is like, hmm, that has to be God. So whatever it is in your life that you're praying about or that you're needing or a situation you need God to work in, it's going to happen in a way that's going to scare you. It isn't going to be your strength. It isn't going to be possible at all, except that God's just going to do it. 
and it's going to cause your friends and neighbors to pay, sit up and pay attention. The next thought I have out of this story is that they, God answers our prayers most of the time, not always, but most of the time God answers our prayers by giving us something in baby form. And I don't mean a human baby, although that may be somebody's prayer, but when God answers our prayers, usually it's something small that has to grow up. Oh, what do I mean by that? I hesitate even to give answers because I don't want to limit your thinking, but we're praying, 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 God, do this, do this, do this. And he does it, but it's so small that we miss it. Because what we want when we're praying for money, you're in financial straits and you're asking God to provide for you. What we want is for money to drop out of the sky into our bank account. But what God does is give you an opportunity at a second part-time job or a little overtime to work. Well, God, uh, I don't want to work. I don't want to work overtime. I just want you to give me the money. I want to win the lottery. Hello? God will give it to you in something that you have to raise. God will give you a baby you got to raise. You're praying for healing. And what you mean is, God, I want the tumor to disappear. I want the pain to stop right now. But what God does is put seed after seed, baby after baby step, where you learn about this doctor and you learn about this procedure and this door opens up and you get this door open with your insurance and you learn about this vitamin and you learn about this diet and, and, and each one of those grows up and in the end you are healed. God gives you babies, little tiny microscopic one-celled things that grow up. And it is your answer. Sometimes. God has already answered the things you've been praying about for years. You just missed it. Because it came in everyday life, and it came in baby form, and it's just part of your normal everyday life, and you look back years or decades later, and you're like, oh, yeah, way back there is when that started. God was answering the prayer all along, and I was praying for years thinking it wasn't happening, but it was. Your marriage is in trouble, and you're praying, God, please fix our marriage. And you're praying that night after night, day after day, week after week, year after year. Hopefully not that long, but could, could be, certainly could be. And, and you just, you don't see that God is moving at all. But your spouse somewhere had a conversation with somebody that you don't even know about. And God put a seed in there. And it's growing. And it's working on their heart. And it's softening things up. And it may take months or decades. I don't know. But it's, it's cracking those walls. And it's working, and that baby is growing. Hello? What I want, God, is a magical, dramatic, instant romance movie turnaround right now. And what he does is give you a baby. He puts the tiniest little seed in there, and it grows and takes root. And over time, whether that's weeks or years, it grows into what you're praying for. So actually, he answered you long before you knew he answered you. It just took took some time to show up. So when the baby is born, Zacharias says, Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit and he prophesied. He worshiped God for a little bit, talking about salvation and the Messiah. And then he says, and you, child, will be a prophet of the Most High. When God answers our prayers, a lot of times it it takes us prophesying to see it. We got to have the Holy Spirit to see that this is the answer to our prayer. But we've got to look 30 years ahead. You've got to look 30 years ahead before you see. So Zacharias in the Holy Spirit is seeing that his, this son is not just a son. There is something really, really big on this child, something really, really important. And in fact, 
it is really big. This is the beginning of the New Testament time period. This is a year or so before Jesus is born. And God has not spoken through any prophet for 400 years. There has been silence. It's called the intertestamental period where their Old Testament was done and closed up and the prophet Malachi was the last prophet. And God says in the Old Testament, there will be a famine of the word of the Lord. And Zacharias is praying for a baby. And his baby is the beginning of the revival that we call the life of Jesus. It is the beginning of the New Testament. It is the, the, the appearance of Gabriel at the altar in front of Zacharias is the end of a 400-year famine of the word of the Lord, angel visitations. Nothing had happened. And Zacharias is the very first person that God speaks to in 400 years. And he missed it. How am I going to know that's going to happen? Come on. It's not going to look like what you think. But God has big, big, big plans. God is working big things and he's working you into the story. We've got to prophesy to see it because God doesn't tell them about the Messiah. He doesn't tell them about the Holy Spirit and the day of Pentecost and church history and the crucifixion and death and resurrection. He just says, this is my answer to your prayer. I give you this baby. But God's got big plans. So God answers our prayers in baby form and we have to look into the future to see it. You parents know, you know, whether your kid is three or 17 or sometimes 33, you have to look to the future like, when is this kid going to grow up? Like, (laughs) come on. We're continually living in faith for the future about our kids, right? It's the same thing with every gift of God. God gives us this little thing and it's not what we thought. It's not what we imagined. It's not what we, exactly what we prayed for. But God says, this is my answer. And uh, I have to look into the future and, look, and realize this thing's going to grow and become something really great. But right now, it's just changing diapers and spanking butts and cooking supper. Come on. Yeah. John is a normal baby. Jesus probably wasn't a normal baby, but John was. John was a totally normal human child that now they just have to take care of and raise and have to believe all this supernatural stuff happens and then all of a sudden it stops and John's just your average baby, your average toddler, your average little kid. They've got to wash his face and teach him math and teach him about God and give him a bath. But you're raising the next revival. You're raising the greatest man ever born. But he's a snot-nosed little four-year-old. God, this is the answer to my prayer? Yes. God told me I was going to lead revival. Yeah, go and teach the five-year-old's class. Hello, you got to prophesy to see it. The next thing I see in this story is when when they're naming the child and of course it's family tradition cultural tradition in those days that a boy is named after his father or grandfather or great-grandfather so families have the same names and john is not part of this name history in their family and so they argue with elizabeth and then they're shocked when zacharias says yeah his name is john if you're going to obey god you are going to have to contradict family and friends Obeying God will always lead us into contradiction and conflict. Not hateful conflict, but conflict. We have to obey God no matter who it upsets. 
it's going to lead us into conflict with family and friends. And Zechariah and Elizabeth know that, but Zechariah says, his name is John. (gasps) You can't do that. Well, yes, I can, because God told me to. It's going to lead you into contradiction. But when Mary hears Elizabeth has conceived, she's conceived Jesus by the time she goes to visit Elizabeth also. She runs and celebrates with Elizabeth. So here's what I want to tell you about that, is that your family and friends will be scandalized or contradict you or argue with you, but those who carry Jesus inside of them will come and celebrate with you. When you're carrying something from God, it will scandalize some people in your family and friend circle, but the ones who carry Jesus inside will come and celebrate with you. Mary's carrying Jesus, and of course, I mean in our hearts, but those who, who, those who carry Jesus are going to come and celebrate you, but you are going to have to come in contract, conflict with people because when God moves in your life, supernatural stuff's going to happen, and the light is going to shine, and the people who are in darkness aren't going to like it. Sometimes we get stuck having to not worry about what people think. We just have to do what God told us to do. And it has nothing to do with picking a fight. It has nothing to do with being offensive. It has everything to do with obeying. And then it says, and these things were discussed widely throughout the entire hill country of Judea. You've got to be okay with people gossiping about you. You've got to be okay with it, with people talking about you. I don't mean they're gossiping because you sinned. I mean when you do the right thing and people don't like it, you've got to be okay with people talking about you. I actually don't think, though, what, that that means anything negative. I think people were talking all through Judea. Did you hear about the 75-year-old woman that had a baby and her husband was struck mute when he saw an angel and then this baby was born and he could talk all of a sudden? I think they were testifying about the awesomeness of God is really what I think was going on. But you got to be okay with people talking about you. Good and bad, we got to be all right with that. we got to do the right thing. And then the, the other phrase I want to pick up here is, these things were discussed widely throughout the hill country of Judea. Judea is central to what is now the country of Israel. And it is on the western half of the country. And it's full of deserty hills that look a lot like southeast Southwest Idaho and Eastern Oregon. Uh, Just rolling hills, not quite as sharp and mountainous as ours, but rolling hills full of scrub brush, and everything's brown in the hot summer most of the year, and dry riverbeds. So it looks a lot like Malheur or Owyhee, Canyon County, that that area, southern Baker County, and, and so on. So people who lived out there are the shepherds that are herding their sheep and goats out through the scrub brush. There's farmers that had their vineyards and their wheat fields down in the river valleys where there was irrigation water. Nothing's going to grow without irrigation in Judea. So it says they were, these things were discussed widely throughout the entire hill country of Judea. But Jerusalem, the biggest city, the capital city, is right in the middle of Judea. I'm maybe parsing words that don't need to be parsed, but, but nobody in Jerusalem was talking about it. So I don't want to say anything that's not completely accurate here, but what I notice is that God likes to work amongst the little people. God likes country folk. Aren't you glad to be a hobbit living in eastern Oregon? The people all around Judea, the hill people, the farmers and the shepherds and the just the average everyday small folk are who's talking about this, but in Jerusalem they completely miss this 
move of God. That's sort of evidenced by when the wise men come to Jerusalem and they talk to Herod about it. It says all of Jerusalem was in an uproar. Like we didn't hear anything about this before. So here's the point I want to make. Not to compare country folk and city people and all of that, but it's actually hard to think of anything that God did in a city. Um, like where he met somebody in supernatural power. He meets Moses in the country. He meets Noah in the country. He meets Peter and John and James and Andrew out in the country. He meets David out in the country. Solomon's raised right in the middle of the city in the center of government and politics, and he's a righteous man. But God's doing stuff in the city all the time, but the city's actually a negative, sinful context in most of the Bible. And God sends his angels to the shepherds, to this tiny little town of 60 people in Bethlehem and Nazareth and God's doing things in in the outskirts of society with the little people here's my here's the only point really I want to make is that the people in the area who knew each other were talking about what God has done the people in Jerusalem were not talking about it at all you and I can get so obsessed with what's happening in Jerusalem and I mean Washington D.C. We can get so obsessed with what's happening in the capital and all the problems there and the darkness and the evil of Hollywood and New York and Washington that we can miss what God is doing in the hill country right around us. What we mostly ought to be talking about is the great and awesome things God is doing in our neighbors. Rather than getting obsessed with what the king is doing in Jerusalem. Because they aren't paying attention to us. Why are we paying attention to them? Seriously. I mean, you all know they don't care about us. Uh, maybe a few of them do. But, but mostly, you know, it's a power trip. It's about money. And I'm so glad I don't live in that world. Who wants to be in government or Hollywood or business today? I mean, you just get charged with anything. And you just, oh, jug through the mud. And, ooh, it's a nasty world out there. I am very happy to be a hobbit in eastern Oregon. Somewhere there's a hobbit carrying the ring of power into the Mount Doom and going to destroy the evil of the world. You know, somewhere God is moving in small people all the time. There's stuff going on, and this stuff was discussed widely amongst the hill country of Judea. All I just want you to see is they were talking about what was going on, what God was doing, history, writing, world-changing events in unknown country people who are not the culture makers, not the famous, not the rich, not the governmental, not the influential, but the nobodies. Come on, Joseph and Mary and Peter and James and Zacharias and Elizabeth are just David and Moses. They're nobodies. Moses was raised somewhere, but he became a nobody. God likes to move in people on the backside of the wilderness. Hey, I got a job for you. We're going to change the world. And yeah, from Union County, Oregon, God? Uh-huh. Yeah, let's do it. The last thing I want to point out is that, kind of already said it, but that it says the boy grew and became strong in the spirit. He grew and he became filled with the spirit. This is a normal kid. They get all this supernatural prophecy about who he's going to be. And then, again, I kind of already said it, but you got to feed him supper and change his diaper. Just like Mary with Jesus, they got to hold on to this, all this supernatural stuff that happened years ago, and we're just going to hold on in faith that this stuff is going to happen with our son. It is going to happen. Lots of you are in that position too. Keep praying for your kids and your grandkids or your unsaved parents. 
Keep praying. God is moving. He's answering your prayer. Maybe He already has and you don't even know it. Keep praying. Lord, thank You so much for Your Word. Thank You for teaching us how to think about these things. Thank You for Your encouragement, for putting faith in us, Lord. Lord, each person in the room this morning that has a prayer request, something that's been on their heart for someone that they love or some need that they have for healing, trying to get over a sin habit they're trying to defeat, Lord, and they've been praying and they haven't seen you fix it yet. Lord, I pray that you would open their eyes, that they would see that you are listening, that you are working, that you have a plan that's better than they would even begin to imagine, and that in fact, in some cases, you have already answered the prayer. It was just too small and we missed it. But you already planted the seeds of deliverance. You already planted the seed of life, of answer to their prayer. And that it's growing, it's becoming. And it's not looking like what they thought it would, but the freedom is coming, it's growing, it's on the way. Lord, forgive us for having small vision, for having weak faith. Have patience with us, Lord. Strengthen our faith. Open our eyes to see all of the ways you are working, all the prayers you are answering, all the things you are doing. Thank you that it's never too late, that nothing is impossible with you, that you're always listening and you have a grand plan. You're fitting us into your story. And we wait in faith and in righteousness until the day you show up and dramatically and supernaturally change our lives. We love you, Lord. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.